life turned upside down when I won 35 grand off a football accumulator. Hold on, you won 35 grand? When you win is when you're most vulnerable. I started taking out bank loans, maxing out credit cards. So I probably had about 25 grand's worth of gambling debt. Who knew about your addiction? No one. I borrowed between quarter of a million and half a million. You had 76 individual online accounts to bet with. Gambling, there's nothing stopping you. I had one bit of luck and I won. Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sports and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 80 million views. Patrick Foster is a former professional sportsman and gambling addict. He talks about the effects of addiction, lying, manipulating and losing millions of pounds to this horrible disease. This is the eventful life of Mr. Patrick Foster. Patrick, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, very much looking forward to this one. Let's, um, let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did you become a gambling addict? God, good question. Um, you wouldn't believe it looking at me, but I was born and brought up in Kenya. Um, so I spent the first few years of my life there till I was six. Then we came back to the UK, um, lived in Derbyshire um, for a number of years. And then I went off to boarding school when I was 13. Um, spent five years at boarding school in Northamptonshire, which was amazing. Um, loved school, loved everything about it. Everything went well. Um, had one real passion in life and that was sport. Um, all I ever wanted to do is be a professional sportsman. And that dream came true. Um, when I was 15, I was put on the academy at Northamptonshire. Um, 18, signed a professional contract, moved to Northampton. And at that point in my life, I was like, well, I'm going to spend the rest of it playing cricket, getting paid to do what I love. Lucky me. Um, and then age 19, I had, I guess, a difficult decision to make because I had the opportunity to continue my education by going to university. I always thought I'd want to go to university. Um, but at this point I was like, well, maybe I should just play cricket. But I guess recognize that professional sports pretty cutthroat, mm. very competitive. It doesn't work out for everyone. So went to university in 2006. What university was that? Uh, Durham. Okay. Um, there was a center of excellence there for cricket. It was a great university. I could essentially do both. It was quite a tried and tested route for cricketers at the time. Gambling wasn't part of my life in any way, shape or form um, until that point. Uh, I can honestly say I'd really never placed a bet in my life myself. Um, and then I got introduced to it, some mates on a Saturday morning, went into a bookies, put two pounds in a roulette machine, put it all on green zero. Put it all on? Green zero. Yeah. Um, and I guess 12 seconds later, Two pounds came 72 pounds. And as I always say, my life changed forever because not a day went past for the next 12 and a half years where I didn't have a bet, um, either online in a shop or in a casino. How did I become a gambling addict? I don't think anyone's addicted to anything straight away, but I spent 12 and a half years trying to replicate the feeling I got from that first win, that first bet, and I never did. Um, 
But is that the say, same? Is that the same as any addiction? I guess you're never going to find that buzz that you got from the initial one. I think so, but you only realise that in hindsight when you stop. Yeah. Um, and I did. I spent all that time just trying to replicate that feeling. As I say, I don't think I was addicted straight away, but I was pretty hooked. Um, I loved it. Um, <laughs> I did it so much. Um, but this must be before the day it was all online on the phones, right? This was going to the going to the bookies and looking at the screens, getting a piece of pen and paper, bang, and whacking the bets in. Exactly. Was that, that more? Did you enjoy that whole part of that? Yeah, to a to a degree, um, and I think that was probably when it was less of a problem for me because there was a lot more kind of transparency around it because I was with other people when I was doing it. People generally could see and knew what I was doing. When it all moved online, that was when it became a lot more secret. Um, but also it meant I could do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, sometimes without people knowing about it. Whereas when it was in the shops, as I say, I was often with other people. Don't get me wrong, I still did it on my own from time to time. Um, but it wasn't all day, every day. So that was definitely a changing point. But also when you're in the shops, the money was real. Yeah. Um, so it was all cash. Yeah, it was cash. Yeah. Uh, and so when you went, won and lost, you sort of really felt it. Yeah. It was tangible. Um, when it was online, it, I would say it was Just like monopoly numbers, money. Yeah. 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 So what would you go, how did it stem from you? A couple of quid at first. How did the journey go for you just in the bookies before it went online? What was your journey like in terms of sort of dropping 100 quid here, 50 quid here, popping in at lunchtime? How did that How did that work? Yeah, I mean, whilst I was at uni, I was gambling like a lot of people do, particularly students. Yep. Um, it was kind of in between lectures when I wasn't in the gym, training the nets, practicing, a lot of time on my hands. I used to go in, bet on the horse, I bet on everything, but it was always small amounts of money. Um and I guess at the time it was affordable. It was money I could afford to lose. Yes, I could have spent it on better things. Mm. But as far as I was concerned, it wasn't a problem. Um, and then I went back to Northamptonshire to continue my cricket career. And I was doing it, but I didn't do it, I guess, as much as I did beyond that point. What rough what, what rough year was this? This you was two thousand seven. Okay, um, and you were playing professional cricket then for Northampton. Yeah, so okay. I was playing a lot of second. What team sort of cricket. what sort of salary were you on there? Uh, like I mean, 50, it was, 60 granders, no, 70 it, was, granders. it was different to that because I was on like an emerging player contract because okay. I was at uni. So I think I got about fifteen, 15 grand 20s. a year. Okay, but as a student, yeah, it was, amazing. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, and then my cricket career came to an end. Um, I got released the end of that year and that was the big turning point because suddenly I went back to university and my relationship with gambling changed completely because I used to use it as a way of kind of replicating the Russian buzz yeah. that I used to get from playing um, I didn't have the same focus motivation I wasn't doing the other things so I had even more time on my hands and it was very definitely for me a form of escapism yeah. because I was I was really struggling to come to terms with the fact that I was no longer a professional sportsman. It was all I wanted to do and actually it became a bit of a coping mechanism. I didn't realize it at the time. Mm. But unfortunately for me, probably I was bright enough to get through my degree. I didn't struggle financially because 
had a generous mum and dad, a student loan, and I'd been paid to play cricket. So money was never a problem. Time wasn't a problem. Mm. Um, what did you have focus on then? So you went back to university. You've had your cricket taken away from you. What, what was your what was your focus? There wasn't. It was just gambling and getting through university degree. Pretty much. I carried on playing cricket um, at a decent level, yeah. but I wasn't as driven as I was. Uh, and I, I definitely wasn't leading the lifestyle yeah. that I did in my first year. Um which was much more professional. So the focus was kind of doing what I needed to do to Mm. get done, get a good degree, and then move on and get another job. I guess one of the big things for me was I never really knew what I wanted to do if I didn't play sport. Um, And so I moved to London. I got a job in finance. I followed the crowd. I mean, that's a lesson itself. Um, And I moved um, to London where I got a job in finance and everything changed then were you finding that if you were earning under a quid a week or a grand a week that you want to spend it gambling pretty much um all my disposable income that wasn't like what i needed to spend money on went on my social life and gambling um until and that was until 2010 december 2010 where life turned upside down when i won 35 grand off a football accumulator um one night hold on you won 35 grand yeah so <laughs> give me an example tell me exactly how what that accumulator looked like and how much you put on yeah so i went out one wednesday night with my mates i'd been given some good news at work we went out on the piss to celebrate basically and um before i got there there was some champions league football on i thought do you know what i'll have a go tonight um there were six matches in three. It was a six-fold accumulator. Three of the matches, both teams had to score. Two matches had to be a draw, and one of the favourites had to lose. I put 500 quid on it, which was actually the biggest bet I'd put on to yeah. that point. Um, and my main motivation was the fact that I'd just been given some money I didn't need. I went upstairs. I started getting pissed with my mates. And that night, £500 became just under 35000 <laughs> I think the weirdest thing about that whole episode is I never told anyone um, as hard as it was. Uh, And I think, again, looking back, that makes me realize how big the problem was because I didn't want people to know I actually lost all that money in four weeks. Um, And then, of course, the problem is once it's gone, you want it back. So you start trying to win it back. So you went 35 Gs and then you got rid of the lot in four weeks. Four weeks, yeah. Going back gambling, chasing the dragon again. Yeah, I mean, literally overnight, I went from putting 10 quid, 20 quid on a horse to putting 100 quid, 200 quid, sometimes a grand on a favourite. Because every time I did it, I wanted to win 35 grand. Um, And I guess that's when it becomes like a drug. Mm. Because if you don't win that amount, it doesn't give you the same rush, buzz, hit. Um, And... The other thing that changed at that point was quite a large sum of that money was transferred into an online account. So I went from almost exclusively gambling in shops and casinos to doing it online. And that meant I could do it sat at my desk in the office when I was doing anything. And yeah, it just spiraled out of control very quickly. And it was just chasing, chasing, chasing. Um, and when it had gone, I wanted it back. I started trying to win it back. And then, of course, I started to deal with everything that 
was going on from the gambling perspective by drinking a lot, by taking drugs at times, and life just started to go in a very, very different direction. What was that transition like from going bookies, cash, cash in hand, you know what you drop in, drop 500 quid, drop a G, drop two grand, whatever you were doing, to then it transitioning to online? Did the addiction speed up? 100% just because of the frequency the I accessibility, could do it. Yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't stop gambling in shops. I'd still do that as well because I loved playing on the roulette machines and that, as you said earlier, that kind of feeling of being in the bookies, um, other people around you, but it meant I did that and online. And online meant I could do it in the middle of the night if I wanted to as well. Whilst I was working, didn't mean that I didn't do any work. Um, I was still pretty high functioning, still pretty successful, but I just did it all at the same time. Um, but also it didn't feel like real money. Um, and it was gone in an instant. And then my the way my brain works was, right, I've lost it, I'll get it back. Um, and I just replicated that over and over again. So how much did you get yourself into debt then? Over this period, so we're talking 2010 here, and that transition from 2010 going online roughly around that time, dropping that 35 grand back and losing that 35, what did the bank account look like? So I had basically used up any money that I'd had from cricket. I'd won and lost that 35 grand. And then in the six months after winning it and losing it, I started taking out bank loans, maxing out credit cards. So I probably had about 25 grand's worth of gambling debt in 2011. And it got to the summer of 2011. I'd put on a lot of weight because I didn't exercise. I was eating badly. I was drinking the whole time. And I thought, you've got to do something about this. Otherwise, this is going to get really bad. Um, and no one really knows about it either, which to me was a good thing. And at that point, I decided that I was going to get out of London. Um, and I wrongly thought if I changed my lifestyle environment so drastically, it would get rid of the problem. I decided to move into teaching. My parents were teachers. The rest of my family were. It made sense. Um, thought if I become a teacher, I won't gamble. And I did. Um, the other positive to it is that I knew people would ask less questions. No one would be surprised. No one would think what was going on here. It seemed a kind of logical step. Uh, and then I became a teacher. And for a little bit, it got better. I still gambled. Um, I couldn't stop, but I didn't do it all day, every day. And at that point, I thought, you know what, I've solved the problem. And then a combination of my first summer holidays, two months on my own, free time. Uh, and I guess a few other things going wrong in my life and it just spiraled. What things were going wrong in your life in that summer? I mean, I had I had various like relationship breakdowns um, and just things like I, I was missing being in London, being around people all the time. And the problem with an addiction, which you only realize when you stop, is... Every time something goes wrong in your life, when you're addicted to something, you run away and you escape to yeah. what weirdly feels like a safe place, but it's the most dangerous place you could be. Because when I was gambling, I honestly didn't think or worry about anything else. It was just about gambling. Um, and it, 
it used it filled my time and financially i had more disposable income as a teacher because i was living in school accommodation at the time and i just started to borrow and borrow and then you get into this habit of feeling like money that you're borrowing is your own money yeah. of course until you have to pay it back um so it, it definitely became a coping mechanism who knew about your addiction no one not your missus not your parents anyone around you close friends for i'd say for the first 10 from up until about 2016 i would say no one knew no one knew about my addiction a lot of people knew i was a gambler a lot of people knew i had a bet no one had any idea of the extent to which it was going on um there were times, of course, where financially I borrowed money off people that were close to me and questions were asked. But if ever a question was asked, I just pushed them away. I was incredible at hiding it, um, but also very good at finding ways to get money. That meant people never questioned it because often I had money, although it wasn't my own money. Yeah. And people think, well, if he's a gambling addict... He's not going to have any money, so it can't be gambling or it can't be as bad as we think it might be. But it was. It was way worse. Did you find yourself telling lots of lies to people? I lied about everything, mate. I I say you're a compulsive gambler, you're a compulsive liar. Yeah. Um, I, I lied about everything that was going on in my life um, because you have to be to kind of maintain this pretense. Yeah. Um, and I became very good at it as well. Um, I'm not proud of that, but it, I think often with people think it's the opposite, but often people with addiction, they are high functioning. They're often bright because that they can get away with it for longer. Mm. Um, I lied about every possible thing you can imagine to get money. Um, nothing would get away in the way of me having a bet. Um, my addiction to the detriment of everything else. Give me some examples of the lies you told and the money you borrowed. When I was borrowing money off banks, credit card companies, payday loans, it was pretty straightforward yeah. because you didn't need to. Yeah. Then when I started to borrow money out of desperation off individuals, um, I would uh, I would often lie about tax. I would say that I'd had a tax bill, I would say that I've crashed my car. I'd say I've got to go and have medical treatment, dentist, you name it. It was often, lend me that money and I promise I'll pay you back in a few days or a week. And of course, that day, that week, that month turned into a year, 10 years in some cases. But all I cared about was I could get the money. Yeah. Um, and because I was borrowing money off, people that had a lot of money, a lot of people that the amounts of money were significant, but they probably weren't going to change their life. I took advantage of that as well because I knew these people, if I say, oh, actually, I can't pay you back at the moment, it wasn't like I knew that they would need it. And that became an addiction in itself. Um, the borrowing of money became, well, can I get away? How can I get away with it? I can't believe wow. I'm getting away with it. And that became a, a thrill and a buzz and a gamble in itself. 
Um, how do you how do you clock the amount of people you're borrowing money off? Going, I borrowed money off them. I got told them a lie. How are you keeping up all the lies going on? I couldn't. Um, and it wasn't until I stopped that I had to go through everything. There were people that, and again, I'm. It pains me to say it, but there were people that I had borrowed quite a significant sums of money off that I'd completely forgotten about, <clears throat> just because they'd lent me the money. I'd gambled it all away in a matter of hours. And so in my mind, I just put it to the back of my mind. That was it. I never wrote down who I owed money to. I couldn't keep track of it. Um, I borrowed money off like drug dealers, um, just people that you don't want to borrow money off. But I always made sure I paid those people back yeah. because I knew that they were the people that... Come after you. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and so I never had any run-ins either financially if run-ins the right way because right word sorry because i would make sure i protected myself by paying those people yeah. the money give me a, an amount the largest amount of money you brought off someone i think the largest amount of money i borrowed off one individual was twenty-eight thousand in numerous different loans kept going back um paid some of it back i mean a small amount yeah. but i think anybody that i ever paid a little bit back to i felt like i could go back to yeah. anybody that i'd never paid any money back i never went back to yeah. um and the, these sums of money were not life-changing sum of monies but they're significant amount of money you're talking sort of with anything between two and a half and ten grand at go the scary thing is that would last me most of the time, a couple of days, maybe a week. When you're borrowing money of people and then they're chasing you, you're, thinking, you're looking at your phone going, oh, David's calling me again. Were you just blanking? Yeah. You're blanking, blanking, and then three weeks down the line, a nice little reply. How, how was your mindset around it? Again, you sort of become very good at then making a reason why that hasn't been happened or what your plan is going forward. Um Towards the end, that became really stressful because it was like, I can't keep up with this. I can't keep up with this and the gambling at the same time. And so then I started to just shut people out, not respond. What, completely um, blank? Yeah. And they would, would those people get in contact with your mates? So hold on, mate, get, get Patrick to pick up the phone because he's doing me 28 grand. Did it ever get a bit nasty at all? Not really, not not as much as it should have done. Oh, okay, so you were cherry truth. picking the right people, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, exactly, okay. and because because they were parents of pupils that I taught they were parents were yeah they? there was a there was often like a a kind of hidden agenda there in the sense that I think these people like me they respected yeah. me they were worried about me yeah um I was teaching their kids I was very good to them yeah and so there was this kind of well I better not. Yeah, no, he's um, all right. We'll look after exactly, him. He's nice. Okay. Exactly. What that. are they worried about you? You said they were worried about you. What? I think just financially. I think. Okay. I think if you're if you're somebody who is financially successful or well off, and you know somebody struggling money wise, and you've got plenty of it, you're not going to worry about ten grand. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um. And and looking back, I mean, of course, I took advantage of so many people, but it that's the bit that kind of pains me because there was a kind of arrogance 
about what I was doing as well. It's like, well, these people have got money, so therefore their money doesn't matter as much. It's still their money. Um, but that's what the addiction does to you. Rolling back, that 35 grand you won, why did you keep that completely silent from anyone? Because I didn't want people to then monitor what I was going to do with it. Right. Because as far as I was concerned, I won 35 grand. That 35 grand was to gamble with. There was never a, like even a little piece of me really? that thought, I'll go and invest that. I'll go and put a deposit down on the house. And hindsight's a wonderful thing. And if I'd done that, my life would look very So you weren't different. even to, like, to the boys, I've had to accumulate. I've just done 35 grand, boys. Let's go and get a few drinks in it. There was none of that. You'd keep it shtum completely. I mean, I think I probably did go up to the bar, buy a big round. Yeah. But they probably just thought that was me being me. Um, it was no different to what it would have been normally. But I certainly didn't say, look, this has happened. And it was very much like, tactical and strategic and and i think now when i share my story with people that's the that's the biggest moment when you win is when you're most vulnerable because when the, you win you're most vulnerable without doubt because that's the point where you think you're invincible okay you think it's going to happen all the time if it doesn't well it's happened once it's bound to happen again and in the short term as far as i was concerned it was money that i didn't need um if I'd got out at that point, I would have made more money than anyone does gambling. So, yeah. Do you know how much money you've borrowed in total of people? Roughly? I mean, the, the really difficult bit is obviously you, you borrow money and then you gamble and you win and you lose. So, I mean, in terms of kind of total amount of money borrowed, I borrowed between a quarter of a million and half a million um, off people. In terms Jesus of what God. I gambled... Um, I probably transacted, I think, just under two million quid online. Um, that's worth the bets because obviously, at some points, you you win, especially the the amounts of money you were, I was putting on and the frequency that I was going to do it. And that's part of the problem is you do win at times, and that's what keeps you going. Um, but eventually, you you're always going to lose more than you win. Do you get more of a buzz of getting money off people? Or more of a buzz than winning? It was both the same as far as I was concerned. The scary, the really scary bit about a gambling addiction, I don't believe anyone gambles unless they want to make money. People sell it as a kind of form of entertainment and a bit of fun it is. But you gamble because you want to win money. Mm. When you're a gambling addict, it's not about the money. It's about the feel it it's about being yeah. in the bet whether i won or lost was just whether i could have another bet or not it was being in that moment it was those 10 seconds that a roulette ball spinning around a machine the couple of minutes that a horse is running is it going to win is it going to win that was that was the drug for me once it had won or lost i didn't really care no amount of money was ever enough anyway so whether it was 500 quid or whether it was five grand, it was just whether I could put another bet on and wow. what size of that bet. And how does that work then? You've got a, a bet, I'm not into betting, but you've got a betting app, I take I take it. You Maybe Paddy Power or something. Say you've got a grand in there or five grand in there. You lose that five grand. Do they allow you to go into debt with them? 
No, you can't. You can't sort of build up credit. Okay. Um, so you'll always start on naught. It's yeah, up to you, you to put money in there for you to play it. around with. Yeah. I had seventy-six different online accounts. So <laughs> hold on, hold I mean, on, hold yeah. on. You had seventy-six individual online accounts to bet with. Yeah, I mean, some of them were multiple with the same bookie, but multiple different. I used different names, all sorts of different things. Some of them were different parts to that company. Some have like a casino part, but yeah, I had seventy-six different accounts. So my my phone my all my apps it was managing that and you had sort of 50 quid in one you might have 50 grand in another and you just spin between them all um how organized were you were you organized now i've got x amount in x amount i'm going to use that today use that today were you properly calculated i was very organized at that little bit of my life probably pretty disorganized at every other Mm. part of my life um and that's the kind of irony about it is it was it was the most important thing um but yeah it's it's mad looking back because it was like a full-time job um i was trying to teach at the same time my the way i'd organize my life my profession my family life everything was around gambling um i used to plan my lessons to know that at some point during that lesson I would have time to get on my computer check the results of certain things put some other bets on and do a bit of teaching at the same time it's mental Mm. of all the addictions out there whether it's cocaine food drugs whatever it may be do you think gambling's the most dangerous one because what i'm hearing now is that hidden silent thing if you're a boozer i'll be smelling booze on your breath if you're into doing cocaine you know i could tell by your face and you can just sense and you know he's a party boy going around the clock i know it's hidden and whatever you but you find that gambling thing is so hidden that no one can know is that the dangerous part of it yeah i think it's definitely the hardest one to spot sight it's called a hidden or invisible addiction for good reason and i think that is what is so dangerous about it because people get away in inverted commas with it for so long, whereas they don't with other addictions. I think the other thing about it, and Paul Merson who's, who's obviously spoken about his experience and he had issues with drugs, alcohol as well. Yeah. He speaks very well about gambling and why it's so difficult in the sense that I was a huge boozer. There's only so much booze yeah you can put in your body yeah. before your body says do you know what i've had enough stop yeah gambling there's nothing stopping you except money there's always a way to find money and unfortunately for a lot of people it's it's borrowing or it's crime that was the problem for me is there was no there was no like breaking point um whereas i think with drugs alcohol i wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy yeah but at least there's a kind of physical barrier to it. Mm. And it felt like there wasn't with gambling. Because it was so silent, you've got no one to talk to. Did you get emotionally broken down at all, knowing you had this addiction, but you didn't know how to get away from it? Yeah, I mean, mentally I was in absolute bits. I was in pieces, but 
again, I've said it before, so again, the scary bit about it is I managed to kind of paint the opposite picture, particularly as a teacher, but also to people around me. I was always kind of the one that everything was all right. I was often the life and soul of the party. Mm. I was in absolute mental turmoil, but found the energy and the desire to protect my addiction by hiding it. Mm. But then behind closed doors, I would break down. Um, I, I was only with my now wife for the last 18 months of my addiction. And I talk about how I used to go through the day at, at school. There would often be like an hour and a half period before when she would commute back to where we lived. And I would spend that time often like in floods of tears, just broken. And then go again and, and find the energy to hide it from her. And it just, it was, it was never going to be sustainable. It draining. Yeah, it was. Like and draining. It was you know, they say like, tell someone it cuts the problem in half and you couldn't tell anyone. No. Nah. must have been mentally draining. Yeah, and sleep. I mean, I didn't, I didn't sleep properly for 10 years because I was either up in the middle of the night betting on Hungarian handball, Brazilian <laughs> football, whatever Tell me the stuff you did bet on. Give me, give me the whole sort of spectrum. Literally <laughs> everything. I mean, I don't think there's much I haven't had a bet on. Um, and and again, that's a sure sign that it's become a problem. I would bet on American sports in the middle of the night. I can't claim to know the first thing about basketball. Mm. or I'm not, a lot of people are, I'm not interested in it, but it was a medium to have a bet. So I'd be doing that. Christmas day, there's no gambling. I bet on whether it's going to be a white Christmas or not. Like you name it, mate. It, it's it's scary. Bet what, what dress, colour dress the Queen's going to yeah, wear? All that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I'd okay. go on uh, William and Kate's firstborn name of their child, mate. You name it. So it's um. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but nah, actually, it's quite, yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. it's terrifying because yeah. that's the thing is when there is always something you yeah. can have a bet on. As a gambling addict, you think, do you know what? It's all about money. All I need to do is win the money back, pay off my debts, everything sorted. I didn't have any money, but I tried to gamble my way out of it during the Cheltenham Festival in 2018, um, which was my biggest week of the year every year. Yeah. Um, and I honestly believed at the time I had best part of half a million quids worth of money that was owed. Um, so I borrowed 10 grand off somebody and I'd already borrowed some money off. I told them a lie that I'm not very proud of. Um, I said someone in my family was pretty unwell and that I needed that money, but I'd pay them back at the end of the week. Wow. And I tried a... to gamble my way out of it. I won, I lost. And then on the Thursday, I lost any money that I had very quickly and I panicked. I wasn't in any shape to make rational decisions. I put a load of speculative bets on that not even I thought I had a chance. I had one bit of luck on the Thursday afternoon during the racing that never happen again and I won 58 grand um but I knew the following day I was going in for a meet I knew it was all coming to a head the world was going to find out my biggest secret so I actually put a 58 grand bet on Mike Bite um in the Cheltenham Gold Cup in 2018 and I said to myself it's as simple as this if I win that money I will pay everybody back Yes, I know I'm going to lose my house and my job, but at least the money financially I'm so sorted. 
I probably won't go to prison as a result. And if it doesn't, I'm going to go and kill myself. Um, and I watched it come second by a couple of lengths and my whole world came crashing down. Um, and to cut a long story short, I, I tried, I attempted suicide in various different ways. Um, was unsuccessful, thankfully. And then I eventually went to Slough train station near where I lived, bought a 14 pound 50 travel card to London with every intention of throwing myself on the next fast train that wasn't stopping at Slough, going to Paddington. And at that point I reached out to my brother um, and told him what was about to happen just because I felt I had to tell somebody because people wonder where I am apart from yeah. anything else. And unfortunately for me, he, he responded and that exchange saved my life. And at that point I realized it had become a matter of life and death. And it was either my life or gambling that had to go. Um, and that's when I stopped and I got the help that I needed. My God. That is full on rock bottom before reaching out to your brother, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, people say to me now, do you think you would have ever done it or was it a cry for help? I don't ultimately care. I don't think about it too much. I think it probably was because I wouldn't have told him if I didn't want him to know and that everybody's rock bottom is different. Um, and that was mine. And I mean, I don't think there's any lower you can go and, I feel like one of the lucky ones now because I'm still here. Um, there's plenty of people that aren't and that shouldn't happen to anybody, um, but it is. You mentioned about the, you tried to take your life a few times. How? So over the course of a kind of 24-hour period, um, booze was always a big coping mechanism for me, um, like an armour, I always call it. And I, I basically got hammered, um, thinking, well, that would at least put me in a kind of frame of mind where I'm carefree. I don't really care. Um, I then tried to take an overdose of antidepressants, sleeping pills, things I used to take every day in secret, try and make myself feel better. None of them worked either. Um, and then when that didn't happen or didn't happen immediately, which was all I wanted. I tried to drive my car off the road. Um, I came pretty close a couple of times and then I went to, to Slough train station. Um, and that was, as far as I was concerned, the kind of most definite way that it could happen. Um, fortunately, it didn't. What goes through your mind when you're in Slough station? You're going, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. What, what actually stopped you at that last second? I think what stopped me was it was only at that point that I finally thought about other people, not just myself. Suicide is a very difficult topic, sensitive subject. I hate it when I hear people say it's very selfish. Ultimately, it is selfish because of what it leaves behind. But anybody who gets to that point in their life or does it actually thinks they're being selfless. Yeah. They they honestly think the world is a better place without them. And at that point, I reached out 
for help because I thought, well, do you know what? I've, I've put myself through this. Nobody else around me deserves to deal with the consequences of what I'm about to do. And it was when I put other people first. Um, and my brother essentially saying to me, look, just just don't do it. Like there is a way out. Like we will sort this out. You just need to be honest. You need to tell us what's going on. I realized in that very small, tiny period of my life, the impact of what I was about to do would, would have on too many other people. Yeah. And I couldn't put them through it. But I has somebody who has been there i i do understand why people do it um as i said because you reach a point where you think the world's a better place without you but it it's it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem mm. and it's it's never ever the solution for anybody and and sadly i've i have experience of other people that have lost people around them and the devastation it yeah. leaves behind is it's irreparable, really. Cheltenham week, great week. Yeah. Everyone's on the piss, everyone's gambling, great week. On the Thursday, when you put 58 grand on to get a winner, what odds was that at? So it was the Gold Cup on the Friday, and I put, I had 58 grand across 19 different accounts, and I put a huge number of different bets on, um, which meant that if it had won, I would have won half a million. I think it went off at about seven to two, maybe nine. I can't remember. Seven to two, I think. Again, different odds, different companies. Um, but yeah, I knew I'd I'd win half a million if it had won. And in your simple mind at that moment, if you got half a bar back, you'd go you'd go and pay everyone off instantly. Or do you think you'd have got half a bar, half a mil in the bank? You'd have just right. What am I betting on tomorrow? Great question. The answer is my intention was to do exactly that and pay everybody back. I now know I would have done completely the opposite because yeah. no amount of money would have been enough. It would have been right of one half a million. Now I can win a million and then I've got half a million to carry on gambling with or do whatever else with. And that's why I always say to people at the time it was the worst thing that happened to me, yeah. but it's the best, the best thing that's ever happened to me. It probably is the best yeah. because if you would have got 500 Gs, you would have gone and spent it. 100%. Wow. Yeah. Are you an addict in any other area of your life? Most. Okay. Um, I've always had a very, well, I'm an addict. Very addictive personality, addictive nature. My addictive personality manifests itself in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways now. But, I understand, I understand it. I'm at peace with it and I manage it. Whereas I didn't previously. I have to be really careful about my relationships with a lot of things. And there was a real danger that I stopped gambling. And then I just turned to booze or drugs or whatever else it might be. So that's where rehab was great because I was in a very protected environment where I didn't have access to any of those things. And I know that is a problem for other people. But it's something that I live with for the rest of my life. But I'm just much better at managing it. And I've got the self-awareness, which is the most powerful thing. Were you, obviously, when you're gambling, you're easy go, easy come. When you were four or five pints in, were you like, oh, I need, to, I need to do more? When you were a few lines in or whatever drugs you were using, you're going, I need to do more? Always. Always, okay. Always. So then your, then your concentration and everything is blurred. 
you're making total rash decisions on pressing the buttons and saying, oh, well, I've 500 quid on that and a grand on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also, weirdly, it often justified it. Yeah. Because if I was pissed, I could say, oh, well, I wasn't really thinking. Yeah. So you were but lying to yourself. Exactly. But the oh, reason I, I was pissed was because I was gambling. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm careful with most things now, but... Um, it's also, it can be a real strength. And so you just try and channel it yeah. in, in the right way. Mm. I'm not an addictive personality, but this is fascinating. <laughs> but I've met a lot of, I know I've got a lot of people around me who've got addictive personality. Yeah. I'm not really a gambler. I'm, I'm not a gambler. I actually gamble my house on something, but on the... <laughs> Tell me, I'm interested by that because it <laughs> it's interesting with gambling in the sense that there are a lot of people that aren't gamblers, that don't go to casinos, that don't bet on horses, mm. but they they still sort of have that mentality, but they get their fix in other ways. So I'd love to know what mm. happened there. Well, in 2008, run out of money, putting on a festival, 30,000 people festival we got running for the last 16 years. Run out of money, the, the crash happened, 100 grand spent, uh, six months to go to put on the festival. Everyone wanted their money, I spent 100 grand, and we had to remortgage the house and gamble the house on a festival, putting people in a field. It paid off. Luckily, it's paid off. I'm here, yeah. I'm here to tell the story, yeah. but geez, we had trying to have that conversation with your wife. Well, two before we we're going to get married, two weeks before we get married, say, by the way, we need to. The only option we got is to lose that underground, or we go for it and 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 gamble the house, our family house, on it. So, I haven't really classed myself as a gambler, but I guess, I guess that was a, it's a massive gamble, mm. but it was on my own. It was on my own doing. The more people I had through the doors, the more I could get through it. It was on yeah. your own. T it was on your own stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was yeah. It's not nice. So I'm a risk taker. I do like risk. I don't mind risk as long as I'm in control of it. Yeah. And I'm da da da. When you've got a wife who's a beautiful human being who doesn't like gambling, doesn't like risk, doesn't like anything, to put your wife through that for the next six months, hoping you're going to get all the people through the doors buying tickets and back then people didn't buy online yeah people had to buy cash or you're waiting on the door when you've set up your whole festival yeah. then you don't know how much booze they're going to spend you don't know what they're going to spend it was all the unknown stressful isn't it well yeah well, in a weird way i kind of enjoyed it yeah in a weird but that's why <laughs> that's right that was my hit why, why yeah. people or if i'm i'll do. only gamble on my own stuff i'm playing pool like 50 quid because yeah. you're backing yourself yeah, I'm, you can. You, it's I can a different see type of you're, you're controlling the outcome, yeah. whereas actually, if you're gambling, it's only the bookies that are in control. In control, yeah. I've never really thought about that fact, but I go. Yeah, it was a big old yeah. gamble. <laughs> so tell me, 2018. Have you ever got? Have you ever got any kids? I just I had one ten months ago. Oh, okay. Congratulations, yeah, thanks, mate. mate. Congratulations, yeah, mega. Lovely boy yeah. or girl. Little boy. Lovely. Cool. So, Freddie. Freddie. Excellent. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's a joy. And tell me your tell me your journey twenty eighteen. Tell me about your book here, Might Bite. Where can people find find the book? Sold in all good bookshops, as they say. But um, yeah, I mean it's on Amazon. Um, and that was a that was a strange kind of process in itself. I I never set out to write a book. I had a burning desire to share my story with people in some way, not because I thought I was some sort of hero who's going to change the world, but actually because I didn't want anybody to go through what I did or be in the situation that I did. And then we all got hit with the pandemic in 2020 um, and lockdown. 
I was about 18 months into my recovery. So you're 18 months clean in lockdown. Okay. Yeah. And I knew that that was going to be yeah. a difficult time for everybody. But I thought managing myself, this is, i got to be really careful here. And so I thought, well, I need a purpose. I was still working, but in a very different way. And I then said, right, I'm going to write a book about my story. And one of the main motivations for it was the fact that actually, although I'd spoken out a lot about my story and my experiences, people were aware of everything. They weren't aware of everything because I hadn't been able to talk about some things. The only way I could find myself to talk about it was to write it down i wrote ninety thousand words in six weeks did you um and then once it was done i thought well here it is can i do anything with it i sent sent it to various people including one of my brother's best mates who's the um, co-author with me who's, who's a great mate of mine mm. he was furloughed at the time he was a journalist i said mate have a look at this what do you think he read it and he said, look, this is an incredible story. It ain't going to get published written like that. Yeah. <laughs> but but can, I, can I take it on as a project with you? Because I know you, I think it's a story that needs to be told and mm. the rest is history. So, yeah, it's, I'm, I mean, I can't believe I'm an author, but it's, uh, yeah, proud of it. Good for you. Anyone listening out here, there's a website called Jack. Have you heard of it? No. J-A-A-Q dot Oh, yes, I have. Justaskaquestion.org. Yep. It is fascinating. Yep. Anyone who's got any mind health issues or any problem, just go on jack.org and type in whatever you want, and it all comes up in like a masterclass video. It's uh, it's it's groundbreaking. It's, it's, I, I, I was thinking Jack as in J-A-C-K. I've yeah. seen the stuff they're doing. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing. And Unbelievable. It's, it's I think it's going to be a unicorn. I think it's going to transform. Trans- I think it's a game changer. Yeah, I agree. Really, really yeah, do. Yeah. Because they're doing it in a level that we all understand. Instead of typing in something into Google and it comes up with loads of things all black and white. Right. This is masterclass video where you go into Jack, ask your question about burnout, mental health, suicide, whatever it may be. It's mega. It is it's, mega. It's really good. Quality. And you can only take every day as it comes. Exactly. Yeah. One day at a time. Happy day. Patrick, you've been an absolute star, mate. Thoroughly enjoyed me. this, mate. Top man. Thanks good for having man. me. You're a gentleman. Cheers. Cheers, Patrick.